turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. You've heard AM, you've heard FM. Now, tune into DM Radio, the world's longest running show about data. Each week, host Eric Cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in the world of information management. Want to be on the show? Send an email to info at dmradio.biz. Now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Hello and welcome back once again to the longest running show in the world about data. It's called DM Radio. Yes, indeed, yours truly. In year 15, folks, not even kidding you, uh, I'm getting old. It was 2008 in February. We launched this show back then through Source Media, these days on our own. And uh, we're coast to coast, baby. Hats off to all of our new listeners out in Seattle and San Francisco and Philadelphia and Boston, etc. Send me an email if you want to get on the show, info at dmradio.biz. The topic for today is a very, very interesting one. It's one I've been tracking for the last four or five years now. Uh, it's sort of a new concept, but really it's more of a culmination of concepts. And the topic is called data orchestration. So what does that mean? It implies, obviously, lots of instruments, right? We have lots of kinds of data. We have lots of systems out there moving data around. And uh, the way that people have moved data around historically has been largely ETL, uh, although sometimes you just drop it on a on a disk and ship it across the country. You can do that, too. You can do ELT, which is a sort of newer version of ETL. And that, of course, stands for Extract, Transform, Load. And then Extract, Load, Transform came around, you know, again, about 12 or 15 years ago is when you first started seeing that. And that happened in part because you can re- preserve all the context to the data. A lot of people don't realize that in the data world, if you look at, like, data warehousing and business intelligence, in the old days, 25 years ago, we had to strip out all that context to get the data through the thin pipes to get processed by the relatively slow processors, and storage was expensive, so you didn't want to keep everything. Well, most of that has changed now, and the cloud is a big, big part of it. We're going to talk to some experts you know, about Snowflake today, of course, Snowflake DB, the cloud data warehouse that's really taking off. I mean, it's amazing how much traction those folks have gotten in a fairly short period of time. We did a webinar with them back around 2015 or 16 when they were starting, and my, how things have changed. Uh, but they're not the only one. There are lots of other data warehouses in the cloud. Of course, on-prem is kind of here to stay. And the bottom line is people are going to want to move data from one place to another or at least give access to data where it is. And we're going to talk all about that with our guests today. We have Taylor McGrath joining us. Uh, we have Divyansh Saini, and we also have Chris Sachs. And uh, we're going to learn about their different companies. Uh, Taylor is with Rivery, and uh, Divyanch is from Houseware, and Chris is with a company called Swim. All of them doing really interesting things. So, Taylor, ladies first, tell us a bit about yourself and what you folks are doing in the space of data orchestration. Hi. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm Taylor McGrath. I, uh, I lead what we call our, our data labs group at Rivery. Uh, so that's... Um, our uh, internal data stack, as well as a lot, as well as a lot of our like product evangelism and uh, data advisory, 
Uh, at Rivery, we are a, uh, a SaaS ELT platform. So that covers areas of the data stack like ingestion, uh, transformation, whether that's you know, SQL or Python or uh, transforming uh, at the, the source of the files in a, in a data lake itself, uh, as well as being able to activate your data or send data via reverse CTL uh, back into source systems. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so data orchestration is, is a huge part of what we do in terms of simplifying how we can orchestrate things, as well as being flexible to orchestrate um, via APIs, uh, easily consumable APIs with, with other uh, best-of-breed parts of the data stack. Yeah. yeah, and I think you folks came along with a pretty clear vision to help really kind of harmonize and align these environments, right? Because especially if you start working with bigger companies, they're going to have three to seven ETL tools, they're going to have two to seven data warehouses, lots of data marts. They're going to have code that they write, Python perhaps. They're going to have lots of different things going on. And uh, that's a real mess for anyone who wants to govern what's, what's happening. It's a mess for data quality. It's a mess for organizational change. Uh, but it's the reality of most scenarios out there in the real world. Maybe could you talk about how you can help with your technology to make sense of all that and start to kind of rein in the cats, let's say. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah, a big piece, especially bigger companies, is is connecting the dots, so to speak. And I think um, uh, a metric we like to use is is like time to new use case, basically. So how how uh, scalable is is your stack in terms of uh, getting to the point where uh, you, you can onboard uh, a new use case that provides business value, and so. Uh, it's really all of the pieces there in terms of if you need new data, you need to enrich, transform your data, um, maybe make it operational by sending it back to some other system and then orchestrate that whole piece. Uh, what is the simplicity of that? Uh, but flexibility, I think, is huge in terms of, especially with these bigger companies that have lots of incumbent systems uh, where they're truly integrated and part of their, their day-to-day operation. It's not necessarily something that you sunset in, in, in a month, in two months, even a year or two. It's, it's being able to uh, integrate, uh, be flexible enough to uh, work with existing incumbent systems uh, while also providing value quickly. So I think, um, sorry, my, my lights just turned off in here. Uh, right. but, so stranger uh, things are happening over there. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, you brought up a couple of really good points here. I love this time to next use case. As a metric, that's brilliant because that's what really matters to the business, right? Is look, you, you come up with an idea, you want to solve some problem. All right, let's get the team together. Let's find the data. What kind of algorithms can we throw at it to, to ascertain what's happening, to make some prediction, for example, or to classify, to organize, whatever it is. And then you set about doing it. Well, how long does it take you to get that done and get on to the next use case? Uh, that's a pretty clear metric to me. Uh, who came up with that one? Uh, oh man, right. some some genius on our marketing team for sure, for sure. But yeah, <laughs> that's good. Well, you also mentioned reverse ETL, which I'm mm-hmm. seeing a lot about these days, and it's it's kind of funny because it's like I guess it is reverse, uh, but there are lots of questions in the marketplace. Well, why wouldn't I just use my existing ETL tool or ELT tool to send things back the other way? And I think the answer to that question lies in the complexity of the target systems. I'm just guessing yeah. here. But and, and also in 
in the capacity or the throughput that these technologies have, right? Because you can have technology that's very good at doing one thing, not so good at doing something else. So tell us a bit about uh, this reverse ETL, which makes every last bit of sense in the world to me, because now you're taking information from the warehouse, for example, and feeding it back into your operational systems, your marketing system, Salesforce, whatever it is, HR, that, that's like, okay, that's what we should be doing, right? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I, I think that it's a really hot topic, I'll say. I, um, I think more and more we're going to see a drive towards um, kind of mixing analytical with operational. Um, I think that's, it's inevitable, um, especially with kind of these best of breed uh, cloud data warehouses that are being more and more tuned to accommodate both. Uh, we're going to mm-hmm. see a lot of products uh, built on top of the warehouse from, from inception uh, to be mm-hmm. operational. Uh, so I think reverse ETL is, is huge there. And I think you'll hear reverse ETL, you'll hear data activation. Um, it's really the goal is to enable um, our, our, our end users, our business users, to make these data-driven decisions in their operational tool. Um, you know, you'll hear things like the dashboard is dead. Um, you know, yada, yada, it's, it's, we, we need to actually have the, the information, whether it's a recommendation or it's a, you know, you need to act on this this way uh, in our operational platforms like a, a CRM tool or an EDP tool, et cetera, like where the action actually takes place. Uh, so I think that was the dawn of, of uh, reverse ETL and those, those types of use cases. Um, and I think it, it, it will be, uh, being, being very transparent, it will be a struggle, a battle between does, is reverse, reverse ETL always going to be data warehouse first? Or, um, and I'm sure Chris can speak on this too, is it going to be something that um, is, is uh, streaming worthy, I'll say? Is it truly operational? Are we going to send mm-hmm. these um, uh, direct from, from source to target operational system? Uh, you know, with some like real time layer that does, that does those transformations? Or is yeah. it something where we're basically going to take we're going to take the opinion that um, that our data warehouse is that layer? So I think there will be we'll see both things. I think right. grow, um, but uh, currently, I guess Rivery as a product, we're very uh, we're very ELT, we're very data warehouse first uh, in terms of uh, we're using the data warehouse as a source for that mm-hmm. for that reverse ETL. Um, yeah. But yes, my my. Uh, Biased, try, trying to be unbiased opinion is that, that I think for different use cases, they're both very relevant. And, and I think we'll grow, like we're going down the road of, of operational and I think it will continue that way. Okay, that, that sounds good. And you gave me segues for both guests here. That was brilliant. Yeah. I'll, uh, maybe I'll choose Divyansh since uh, what Chris is going to talk about, I think is really very, very interesting in a different way. But let's talk to Dibyanch since we have a nice uh, segue there on cloud data warehousing and Snowflake in particular. And I just came back from the Snowflake Summit, which was amazing, I have to say. And guess what those folks are talking about? They're talking about, I think they call it Unistore. They're talking about building apps, bringing the code to the data warehouse, data in the data warehouse. Well, as I wrote an article about this, I thought to myself, you know, as a business person, you're like, well, you know, doesn't, can't Azure host my applications and can I stand up a database in there and and the answer is yes, you, you can, you absolutely can. This, though, is a bit of a departure, and uh, some savvy analysts think it's a pretty clever thing for Snowflake to do, because Snowflake has historically been the data warehouse. So they, they have a very clean partner strategy. We manage the data, you do the analysis, build apps on top of it, 
very clean. That's a brilliant way to go in terms of partner strategy, I have to say. I think it's why they're doing so well, at least one reason. Uh, but building in this environment, you know, it, it brings some interesting challenges, and ideally it brings uh, some, some real power, too. But, Dibyanch, why don't you tell us a bit about what you folks are doing, because I find it very interesting. If, and let me characterize it. Tell me if I get it wrong. You are giving visibility into what you call metrics in Snowflake, and then allowing business people to quickly grab these metrics and pull together views of the business, which is what analysis is all about, really. Tell us, tell us a bit about that. Absolutely, Eric. And I think you mentioned Snowflake. Snowflake is such a core part of our strategy as well and how we think about it, Houseware. So I'm one of the co-founders of Houseware. The way we see ourselves is as the data apps company. What we are seeing a lot more happen with trends around data orchestration, data activation, as Taylor mentioned, is that people don't just want to be using analytical data for analysis. They also want to be using it for more operational use cases, more data activation use cases, and which is where uh, all of this data now goes and resides in the data warehouse. But this is where it goes and really dies if, let's say, it is not really used for anything apart from dashboarding and reporting, So, which is where Houseware comes in, allows users inside functions like sales, customer success, marketing, a product to really create these applications on top of it as internal applications inside their organization, which are really combining the best of the breed of visualizations, data activation into one single plane uh, for them to really uh, talk to their users and actually like, sort of take actions on top of it. So Houseware essentially really started with a very simple question to ourselves, is that what would it take for us to flip the value of the data warehouse, which has largely been an engineering and a data team's resource, to the people on the other side of right. the table who are essentially revenue function-oriented? And one of the core differences that we realized in the f- cultural differences that we realize between the users on the data team and the users on the revenue function is that the language itself is very different. The data team is always talking about tables, rows, columns, schemas, models, whereas your revenue function, people inside sales, product, customer success are always talking about metrics. Now, metrics are these first-class citizens that Houseware really enables these users, as you mentioned, Eric, to look into, to go deeper into, and this is where the real analysis really happens. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, and it makes it very business-friendly, right? What you want is for these things to be sort of like under-the-hood technology. You don't need your business people to understand exactly how the ELT works or the ETL works. You don't need them to be masters of SQL. You want the business people to know their business and what's happening in the business and be able to pull from this trusted source, the data warehouse, to get the numbers to wrap their head around something. And then you're actually enabling the building of apps around that as well, not just dashboards and views, right? But this is, and this is another huge trend I'm seeing. We'll talk to Chris Sachs about this next in the next segment, but there is going to be an entirely new generation of apps that are coming out. They will be data and analytics driven apps. They'll be very focused on the business. Uh, and it's really the next generation of business functionality. What do you think, to be honest? Yeah, for sure. And I think the entire world of data is up for grabs as I keep repeating time and again. And the reason why I say this is because I think in the last half a decade or so, we have seen so much great technology come and being provisioned to data teams inside an organization. So there is ETL, there is reverse ETL, there is the data warehouses itself. You have simple machine learning tools, you have complex machine learning tools, you have the modern day notebooks of the world. So the data team is pretty much, they have their arsenal full, right? But their eventual goal always, if we go back to the basics and the fundamentals, their eventual goal was to actually optimize for the processes and the outcomes inside an organization, increase the revenue. And which is where there's there's a very important need for 
a company to come in and a tool to come in and really consolidate all of this efforts that has gone into the technological part of fueling the data team into creating an experience which is super important for these end users and uh, i think i think from an infra landscape if you see like the snowflake strategy what they are going after snowflake summit 2022 made it super clear from snowflake's perspective that applications is a core part of their strategy they also realize mm-hmm. this need that the cloud data warehouse calling it the data cloud now is super essential because you're not just going to be calling this $100,000 spend on a data warehouse to be just as a data spend you have to sort of also talk about like the business value that you're giving to your end users inside the revenue function and which is where things like unistore things like um, the native apps framework essentially brings uh, to taylor's point like brings the operational data along with the analytics data into one single plane which um, mm. allows companies like us to really flourish on top of it yeah that's interesting and, and you've really changed the business process in, and I think a very fundamental and foundational way, which is to say, in the old world, you would have some business person go and ask IT to give them access to another table, for example, or have someone write some code to grab some data, for example. And that's fine, but it takes time. It's slow. There is a, a, a latency in this process. And frankly, the thought process is truncated then. And what you're really doing now is enabling self-service usage of trusted corporate data that's in the warehouse to build the next generation of apps, to build the next generation of views, right? Real quick. Yep, that's exactly what we do. So I think you rightly mentioned, and this is no longer the era where we treat our organization as siloed IT and siloed, I would say, sales and marketing. We are living in this world where anyone, (laughs) (laughs) thankfully, yeah. So we're living in this world where all of the people who are working in tech especially are by default technical, whether you're an account executive, you're a DevOps person, you understand your core business so well that if let's say you're given the right tooling, you can go ahead and like pretty much do business at the speed of thought and you don't really have to wait for a business request to be going into Jira. The data team really sort of thinking and taking their own sweet time to come back saying that, hey, this data is not there. We'll probably take a lot of time to get this on the warehouse and then sort of go from there. So the readily available data access on the data warehouse is now like something which we extend to our users and sort of make it available very quickly to them. That's it. Give them access to these reports, not just reports, but the metrics themselves, which are the data running the company. This is good stuff. Don't touch that off, folks. We'll be right back. You are listening to DM Radio. Do you need to get your hands on some extra money right now? Maybe 25000 or more? If you're a homeowner, now is a perfect time to get cash out while homes in many neighborhoods like yours have gone up in value. You can use the money for anything. It's yours. You can buy an investment property, pay off higher interest debt, or make home improvements. If you need $25,000, $50,000, or more, now is the time. Home values are up, and so is your equity. We offer you a way to use it. No need to use your savings. Call New American Funding now and see how much cash out you can get. 800 627 6493. 800 627 6493. That's 800 
back here on DM Radio, talking all things data orchestration. Now we're going to talk about some real-time data and some data movement and edge computing and all kind of fun stuff. And I'm reminded of another fun quote when I was interviewing Dr. Michael Stonebreaker on this show about, gosh, 10 years ago, I want to say, maybe 12 years ago. I had a great quote where he said, and this is the godfather of, of the modern database, or at least the Postgres database. Uh, he said, uh, 90% of code should just be thrown away. And his point was that the code running all these applications from way back when was designed in a much different world where you had to wait for spinning disk, for example, where you had to wait for slow clock speeds or, or whatever it is. Like in the inside, the workings of the machines, the operating systems they compiled for, well, so much of that stuff has changed, certainly in the cloud. And then the edge is almost like cloud 2.0 if you kind of if you break it all down like that. But next up, we have a fascinating character, Chris Sachs from SWIM. Tell us a bit about yourself and, uh, and where this all came from. Thanks, Eric. Uh, good to be with you. Yeah, I'm uh, the co-founder and, and CTO of, of SWIM. And uh, at SWIM, we've built a streaming application platform. And the idea is that uh, we need a lot more than just, just analytics and, uh, you know, processing data and, and putting it in a d- database. You know, we want to build automation, autonomous systems that can, can consuming streaming data at high rates, put it together and act on it in real time. Um, and to be able to, you know, basically run the whole stack, compress the whole stack from from ETL to data orchestration to running general purpose business logic uh, to taking uh, autonomous action and providing visualizations and, and, and observability for end users sort of all is, is sort of quickly and directly as possible um, in, in a single vertically integrated stack. And so that's sort of swimming in a nutshell. It's, you know, trying to pull the rope as, as tight as possible. What's the, the fastest, most direct way that we can, we can analyze and understand and, and compute on data um, to, to do useful stuff with it sort of at, at, you know, at the speed of reality, if you will. Yeah, and, and you talk about how you started as an edge-first company and out at the edge, again, think about design points, right? And when you're, when you're working with trying to solve something at the edge, well, you have to be very lean. It's like the old days of programming, and there's this concept of code bloat, that as processors got faster, developers could get lazier, basically, and just write a whole bunch of code to do something instead of writing it nice and tight, which is what it really always should be, right? I mean, ideally, you want your code as tight as possible. You want as few functions as possible to get the job done. And so you all cut your teeth out the edge, which I think taught you a lot of lessons, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, so to, to run at the edge, yeah, so, so SWIM was, we really come at this data orchestration picture from a different angle. Um, Swim started as an as sort of an IoT automation platform where we would run actually distributed control logic out at the edge, sort of controlling smart lights and, wow. and cameras. Um, and, and kind of by necessity, uh, we, we had to integrate a lot of the stack um, just because the devices are are more constrained, but but also because you're you're, you're very latency sensitive when you're out. At, you know that, that's the whole purpose of, of running at the right. edge is is to reduce latency. And, and really, when you're dealing with control and, and automation, you, you, you really need to be coherent with the real world. You know, if uh, um, <laughs> nobody you know, wants a light to turn on, you know, you know after they've, they've left the room. And, uh, you know, when you, when you go to the cloud and, and larger automation systems, you, you need to be real time. You don't want to, you know, if you, you know, have a network that goes down and you decide you want to restart a router, 
you don't want to restart that router an hour later, you know, when the things already started working again. So we had to, we had to compress the stack um, so that we could run in the edge. And it turns out that there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of, you know, incidental benefits of, uh, of, of compressing the stack that, that help huh. uh, elsewhere. Yeah. And I heard you describe uh, early in one of our calls the other day, kind of how you viewed the world and, and you really did think through the entire end-to-end process and how much things have changed. And you realize, look, we need to build something from the ground up to reinvent the wheels, as I'd like to say, because for certain solutions at scale, you can't just optimize one piece. And you were joking about how so much of the data world winds up becoming de facto band-aids for the mistakes we made last time. And how many band-aids can you wrap around the cup before it just leaks all out and you lose all your data and you lose all your water and you lose all your money. And so you had a very unique approach, I think, to the whole solution here, and you re-architected. Tell us about that sort of vertical stack and what those components are and how it works. Yeah, and it's worth – so So you, you really have to get down to brass tacks to, to work in real time, right? Because sort of anything that – you're only going to be as fast as, as the slowest component. Um, right. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, – you know, it's also worth keeping in mind, you know, CPUs are much, much faster than networks. You know, a, a lot of the, the, the data ecosystem, it's, it's very federated, right? You have, you have lots of middleware components, you have databases and, you know, message brokers and sort of job managers and application servers. And they're all connected by networks, you know, which, you know, run at sort of millisecond latencies. Uh, but CPUs work at, at nanosecond latencies, and that's, you know, like six orders of magnitude faster. And so if you want to if you want to run sort of at the speed of data, if you want to actually sort of run business logic, um, you know, as fast as the data is coming in, you have to keep everything local on hand. You know, it, it, it's like paying a million percent tax to go and query a database. And, and we're talking about data orchestration here. Right. So we're talking about many different sources of data coming in and they're coming in at different times. And, you know, for some of our, our larger clients, they're dealing with five to ten million events per second. And. And, and, you know, data doesn't have much meaning on its own, right? As, as you, you mentioned right. earlier, Eric, you really need context to, to make sense of it. And so, um, so swim, so the key is to be stateful and, and streaming throughout, throughout the stack. And, and, and that's what we've done at swim is build the whole stack to be stateful. So it doesn't forget what it's doing and to, to do everything in stream. And I'm glad you mentioned that this is going to be a good round table topic. So for the benefit of our virtual audience out there, state is a very, very important concept in programming. I try to come up with examples to explain. Think about when you're shopping online and you go, you're browsing, you select a few things, you put them in your cart. That's part of the state. So the state recognizes who you are and the fact that you have these items in your cart. And then you want to go check out. So now you go to a different state. Now I'm in a checkout mode and I want to make sure it's all correct and give it my data, et cetera. Well, the interwebs at large here, if you look at a lot of the tremendous innovations that have happened in the past 10, 15 years, they are all built around a stateless view of the world because they want it to be able to be scalable. So you hear all about Kubernetes. We talk about Kubernetes all the time in the show. It's absolutely fascinating technology. It's, it's brilliant what these folks at Google came up with, but it's all stateless. And so state then has to be stored somewhere else, you know, either a database or some system of record. And that can get a little loosey-goosey. It can get kind of hard to manage. 
Uh, if, uh, if things fall apart, it can get kind of hard to put it back together. I mean, there are just challenges associated with that. And what Chris is talking about here is they took an approach to, to basically circumvent that huge chasm, which everyone else has to jump over now. Is that about right, Chris? Yeah, and it, it's worth you know, pointing out, like, we're having a, a stateful conversation right now, right? You know, you, <laughs> I remember what I said a minute ago, and, and you remember what you said. And, and to put in perspective, you know, what a stateless system is like, is imagine after, you know, every question you ask me, Eric, I had to go, you know, walk 60 miles to check my notes, which is, you know, query a database. Remember, it's mm-hmm. six orders of magnitude longer than it takes a CPU to think. So instead right. of sort of one second for me to formulate my thought, imagine it takes a million seconds while I go and, you know, I, I, I check my notes, then I come back and I give you a response. But now you've forgotten what you had said. So you have to go and check your notes and come back. You know, that's, that's funny. But, but that's actually how how most software works. And that's why nothing is real time, because everybody, you know, you know, you, you, you check your notes, you do one thing and then you forget and, and right. you start all over um, and, and you can you just can never get to, to real time. Um, in that way. But it's not because of anything fundamental. It's because of sort of the historical happenstance of the kinds of applications we used to build. Um, and, and what the industry is trying to do now is different. And it calls for a, a different approach. Well, and, and so what's happening here in a, in a second, we'll bring in our other guests for the roundtable, but you have so much innovation all up and down the stack right now. I mean, really, you think about it, the data persistence side, streaming data, for example, Kafka came out of, of, uh, of LinkedIn, it's now run by Confluent, but even Kafka, to to Chris's point, persists to spinning disk. If I'm not mistaken, I think it still does. So here, that's not really real time. You're persisting it somewhere and then accessing it from the database. And this is how things have been for years and years and years. I mean, you could you could almost say we're coming back all the way around to a situation kind of like the mainframe. Like that's what the mainframe was to a large extent, and you bought little bits of time from the mainframe. I can't remember what they called that. But uh, the point is, we've seen so much innovation up and down the stack in networking and processors, the hardware, the software, uh, all these devices. And you think about it, it takes time to build software. It takes time to build something. So if you want to build what Chris and uh, his team have done at SWIM, you have to have the gumption to do so and really take the time and effort to build this thing correctly. And then, of course, you have a a target audience. And you folks uh, are very good in, in telco right, where you have tremendous amounts of data, and it's really important to know what's happening now when calls are dropped and things don't work well. So you're kind of cutting your teeth in that world, but there are use cases across the board, right? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the broad industry trends, you know, like the time cycles are getting faster and faster across the board. You know, telcos, it's particularly particularly acute. Um, but even in, uh, you know, if you're a... Uh, like a shopping application, um, and you, you know you have pickers going to a store. If if a, if a store runs out of a of a product, you know you want to be able to redirect them um, on the fly. Or you might be making a drone delivery. You know you don't want to have to you know and maybe in flight you decide to uh, you, know, you need to redirect that drone. Um, and, and so the trend is towards you know faster and faster uh, you know time cycles. Um, and again, if in the traditional approach, it gets sort of exponentially more expensive to, to do real time because you're you're always pulling these systems. I, you know, I, right. I like to compare it to like accelerating a proton to the speed of light. Like it's never going to happen. It takes infinite energy, you know, because you keep having you keep having to query and you keep having to ask. 
But if you build the system to work like a photon, you know, you just naturally, if you, 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 you naturally sort of do your compute as the data arrives and you remember the context you need, um, you're able to, you know, it, you, you can't help but operate uh, in real time. And, and you, you reset that cost curve and you reset the complexity function in, in the process because you've sort of, you know, stripped out the, the, the layers of, of bandages that, that have sort of, you know, a, a lot of the complexity in the data space are, are really trying to work around this fact that we're stateless. You know, you have, right. you have caching right. servers and all of this right. that's really there, it, yeah, to, to, um, to work around this sort of core assumption that, that no longer applies. That's a good way to put it. I'll bring uh, I'll bring Taylor McGrath back in from Rivery to kind of comment on this. Uh, you know, my old co-host years ago used to always talk about horses for courses, meaning there are different racetracks and you want different horses to perform on different racetracks. Some are good in the mud, some are good in the on the flats, whatever the case may be. And the business will always have to make those determinations, right? But I think there is something to be said for what Chris is saying about rethinking and, and reevaluating many of the assumptions that we've made and how we've built these systems and understanding there's a new way to build them going forward. Right, Taylor? Totally. I think, um, yeah, I think I, I'm pretty impressed by, uh, by Chris is just, what Chris has just described, to be honest. Um, and I think, uh, if I'm being very honest, I think it's even further ahead than a lot of businesses, especially specific industries, and especially when it comes to um, the data world that's focused on analytics and just getting kind of their, their feet wet in operational analytics. So I think it's, uh, it's going to be very use case driven. I think there are absolutely like the examples Chris gave, uh, real-time retail, uh, telco, for example, that already need this uh, you know, uh, this real time and to have state applied. Um, and I think something that'll be ever uh, important with these is that it's, uh, it's treated like a, like a true product and you have kind of all the capabilities in terms of uh, observability and just, just like the actual what it's delivering, everything mm-hmm. around um, the definition of what a product is also has to be real time. And I think that's, that's what's so difficult and uh, in, in kind of turning these use cases into true real time. And I think that's why we, we see uh, still this kind of data warehouse first mentality because you can, you can treat these things as products because they are uh, mostly batch driven and have, have metadata and are accessible, et cetera. So I think uh, the use case here really will, will kind of steer organizations in the way that they strategize in terms of yeah. if this is necessary to be real time and, and use kind of this, a new age thing like, like swim, or is this something that we can, um, uh, I don't want to say centralized, but, but kind of more, more generalized to our, our general population of users in a data warehouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to, I mean, there's only so much budget in every, every organization. There's only so many things that can be done. But I think one of the cool aspects of what Chris has built and, and the rest of you on the show as well is that we are in a very transformative period of time right now in this industry. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. I was uh, talking to Mike Olson of Cloudera way back, like, again, almost nine years ago or so about how there's this redoubling right now. And really, it kind of gears around AI, I think, and around awareness and around these self-learning systems that are now going to sit on top of all this data and do interesting things. We need to be able to be aware of all that. But don't touch that dial, folks. We'll be right back. You are listening to DM Radio. 
In times of economic uncertainty and chaos, your money means nothing. You may not even be able to get it from your bank or ATM. And the money you do have in the stock market will go down and down. What you can bank on is gold and silver. Gold and silver have been a reliable and trusted form of currency for thousands of years. Gold and silver have never been worth zero, and typically gold holds its value during economic turmoil. Call the gold hotline now and learn how to protect your money and your assets with gold and silver. And learn how to set up a new IRA or roll over your current one into a gold-backed IRA. Protect your money from the next market crash with gold and silver. Call now for your free gold guide. 800-755-4281. 800-755-4281. That's 800-755-4281. If you're trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 877-247-1585-877-247-1585. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Kavanaugh. All right, folks. Back here on DM Radio, talking all things data orchestration and real time and all sorts of fun things here today on this show. We've been talking with Chris Sachs of Swim, Tanner McGrath of a company called Rivery, and of course, Divyansh Saini from, uh, from a company called Houseware. And uh, Divyanch, I was thinking to myself, I love this concept that uh, Taylor threw out there of time to next use case. That's a good metric. Also, time to next app, time to next innovation. And what we're seeing here, we've talked about how cycle times are condensing, right? It, it used to take a year to stand up a data warehouse. Now it takes, you know, a week, two weeks, depending upon the size of your organization. And we're going to see that starting to collapse as well in terms of new business processes, new functionality, new features, whatever it may be. And to facilitate that process, it helps to, to see what's happening. And, of course, you're giving easy use or ease of access to metrics inside of Snowflake, which can then be used to help the business people figure out what to do, figure out what next app to build, right? And maybe it's going to require real-time what, what Swim provides. Maybe it doesn't. That will depend upon the use case and upon the business needs. But my point is that we're really getting somewhere in terms of giving the business what it needs to know what should be done next. What do you think, Divyanj? Absolutely. And I think I absolutely love time to next use case as the metric, as a North Star metric to go towards, especially for a company like Rivery. And 
how we think about think these things at Housewares is how do you really reduce this latency for the business? You also need to be able to measure the business value that you're getting on the other side. And it's super hard in an analytics process to really see what the top line impact is on the revenue. And uh, right. you can always think about metrics in its own essence that you're seeing like an increase in let's say daily number of orders. But that still doesn't mean that the use case that you spend like six hours working on, does it really mean that it increased the number of orders, right? So attribution is a big challenge that our customers today face and where Houseware really helps to sort of not just like see these individual metrics, like there's a click on an app to number of orders, but also see the relation between them. It's a complex, hard problem that our customers like to think of and uh, creating then apps on top of it and then thinking of things like the time to next use case like sort of then comes into the context for our customers. And more and more what we are seeing is Companies, as you're talking about in the break as well, I think consumers today in their personal lives expect an experience like Uber where they click and the cab booking at least starts in that very moment. Uh, You don't really wait 30 minutes and then it goes into a queue and then you really see like the cab is getting booked. Something similar in business metrics is I think like now starting to change. It's no longer a time where you just want to be seeing your daily number of active users as of last day. People are now coming to like last 15 minutes. And how can we really bring it like much more closer to the last second is something which is super critical. And um, yeah, so that that's something that how we think about this and how our customers think about this as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And maybe uh, Taylor, I'll bring you back into the equation here. A lot of it is going to be consulting, right? A lot of it is going to be talking to business, whether it's an internal business analyst, a process analyst, for example. But I think the hardest part is going to be shedding old mindsets about how things have to be. And I think there is a certain point at which you have to kind of rip the Band-Aid off and deal with the immediate pain in order to get deeper and solve things for the long term, because this scale-out world is very different from the world in which many of the applications that are running business today were designed. Right, Taylor? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. I think um, I forget the exact quote, but something about like the danger of, of incrementalism and how if you're just yeah. like, you know, slightly incrementing again and again and again, that essentially uh, you don't you don't actually, you know, exact any change. Uh, and so I, an example of that is, you know, companies are like, oh, we'll, we'll move this one component to the cloud or we'll, we'll do this thing real time or, you know, we'll we'll kind of you know, like make this one little piece better. And I think it's it's kind of revisiting you know data strategies even operational strategies in terms of you know what are the technologies currently out there and and what do we want to serve and um making those decisions you know opposed to kind of changing one one thing at a time that's yeah no no good point we do have a live studio audience here folks and if you're listening on the radio you want to be part of our live studio audience hop online to dmradio.biz you can register for these shows and take part in the actual broadcast of the show. And we have some good questions from uh, some of our members in the audience. One I'll throw over to uh, Chris. We have an attendee who says, I develop Bayesian predictive analytics sub apps. and think in terms of high-frequency trading scenarios and business dynamics. Can the Swim platform accommodate this? I'm thinking, yeah, like that's exactly what you do, right? Yeah, I think part of our strength is, is the ability to run general-purpose compute um, sort of at the, at the speed of data. You know, whereas, uh, you know, Flink and, uh, you know, a lot of traditional analytic systems, they, they sort of require these, these pure functional approaches to developing analytics. You know, one of our use cases, we actually run self-training neural networks um, where we'll, we'll take data from, from traffic management systems about, you know, traffic lights. And, and we feed that into a neural network and we basically make a guess about what will happen, you know, a second from now. And then 
we wait and see what actually happens and we measure the error. And, um, and interestingly, we can actually run a training and prediction cycle in less time than it takes to get a packet out on the network. You know, it's again, sort of shows just how, you know, uh, how, how expensive it is, you know, for, for computers to sort of access the network. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, Bayesian, you know, inferencing systems, I think, are a great use case for, for us. Yeah, and maybe I'll throw, I'll bring uh, Divyansh back into the conversation here. Uh, again, it all comes down to using the data intelligently to come up with some new ideas. And I think that the discovery side of that equation is so important because it, it helps generate ideas and it helps give the business people some nudge that they can understand and then use to cast a new net, for example, to come up with a new plan. Because these are things that, and again, the, the closer you get to the front lines of the business, the more people will understand the nuances of that particular domain. And I can tell you that in the data-driven economy that we have today, that's changing. It's changing kind of fast. I mean, consumer behavior changes quickly. I notice as a marketer, I've been doing direct email for 23 years now, which is a pretty long time. And email still is king in the enterprise, in my opinion. It's still uh, the best way to get people to transact with you and do something. Social is great for eyeballs, et cetera. But behavioral chat patterns are changing. And especially when you have like a pandemic come along, that was a huge forcing function. And my point being, unless you really have your finger on the pulse of the data of your organization, you're probably going to miss a change. And if you miss two changes, it's like calculus class. You're not going to be able to catch up. But what do you think, Divyansh? Yeah, and I think one of the consumer behaviors that we have seen change with the advent of the modern data stack has largely been around how data was always daunting. So if you think about data, you always have this like concept of big data. It's on Hadoop somewhere, and someone in IT is accessing that. And now it has like sort of become like a lot more friendlier to users. They can think about like things in terms of like uh, tooling, like Rivity tooling that essentially like enables this into their operational systems and systems which are familiar to them. Something like a Salesforce, something like a Zendesk, is something which is a big trend that we actually index a lot on with our customers. We are seeing them use that a lot. And more importantly, what these tools have been allowing us to do is that these metrics are like much more familiar to anyone inside the business and missing that pulse is something which is super super i would say harmful to any of the businesses and but if these metrics are then available to them inside their operational tools or if they're able to sort of um, get in front of the users more importantly than just like take a decision inside a meeting room that's like the most important aspect to running a data-driven business um seeing that a lot more often, especially with like new age industries like media, entertainment, SaaS, um, these kind of companies are really leading the way in terms of how you can hyper-personalize the customer experience, the user experience, and not just sort of um, way to write into people's inboxes and just sort of see if, let's say, they are coming back to you. Um, so that's something that we are super keen on and um, almost uh, almost seeing like that change drive the next generation of tools that are getting built from a consumption experience perspective or how this data enables these business users on the front line. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you mentioned media companies are almost uh, at the end of our show here, but a big thanks to all of our guests today. And I'm thinking to myself, Netflix, Netflix just lost a million subscribers in, uh, in their most recent report. I think it was a million. And you're like, okay, well, there must have been leading indicators for that. There must have been signs leading up to it. We got 60 seconds left, Chris. I'll let you take the 60 second shot at that. They need real time analytics, right? They do, and they need a lot of context. You know, you the, the signal doesn't stand out if it's really subsampled. 
You know, what we see uh, a lot is, you know, you sometimes there's not a lot of lead time. The indicators are there, but and and also they get averaged out. And and the sort of tyranny of averages, when you're not real time, you end up subsampling and you average it out and you lose that signal. And so even if you don't, even if you don't need to, uh, (laughs) even if a human doesn't need to know continuously, a lot of times your analytics benefit, you just get higher resolution and, uh, and, and those signals, you know, reappear. They yeah, definitely and there's that time. thing called bias, right? There's confirmation bias. There's mm-hmm. statistical bias, which you want. You want to be able to get some contrast in things. But, you know, I think that uh, the days of me thinking that I'm right and not caring about the fact that I'm wrong are coming to a close in the business world because there's just not going to be any room for error, at least not for errors that big. You need to know what your customers want, what your prospects are looking for. And you need to act on it pretty darn quickly. Look these folks up online, folks. Always a pleasure to talk to experts. We'll talk to you next time. You have. Do you need to get your hands on some extra money right now? Maybe $25,000 or more? If you're a homeowner, now is a perfect time to get cash out while homes in many neighborhoods like yours have gone up in value. You can use the money for anything. It's yours. You can buy an investment property, pay off higher interest debt, or make home improvements. If you need $25,000, $50,000, or more, now is the time. Home values are up, and so is your equity. We offer you a way to use it. No need to use your savings. Call New American Funding now and see how much cash out you can get. 800-627-6493. 800-627-6493. That's 800-627-6493. NMLS 6606. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. This is not an offer or commitment to lend. Subject to borrower and property qualifications. Not all borrowers will qualify. Terms and conditions apply. Equal housing opportunity. In times of economic uncertainty and chaos, your money means nothing. You may not even be able to get it from your bank or ATM. And the money you do have in the stock market will go down and down. What you can bank on is gold and silver. Gold and silver have been a reliable and trusted form of currency for thousands of years. Gold and silver have never been worth zero, and typically gold holds its value during economic turmoil. Call the gold hotline now and learn how to protect your money and your assets with gold and silver. And learn how to set up a new IRA or roll over your current one into a gold-backed IRA. Protect your money from the next market crash with gold and silver. Call now for your free gold guide. 800-755-4281. 800-755-4281. That's 800-755-4281. If you are trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO, private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 877-247-1585. 877-247-1585. 
877-247-1585, 877-247-1585.